Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. I'm your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, and around the world on Arut Sheva, Israel National News slash radio. And another public service announcement, just to remind everybody that after many decades, Nachum Siegel is going to be moving over strictly to the NSN network, to the Nachum Siegel Network this network here around the world that you can hear us live 24-6. Nachum is going to be making the change December 1st, moving off of WFMU. And you'll be able to find him on that NSN app. If you don't have the NSN app, get it. Get it if you are listening on your computer. It's easier. Listen on your phone. Plug it into your car. You can listen to this network, as I said, anywhere you go. So making it convenient for you, and Nachum is going to be moving over full-time starting December 1st to the NSN app on the NSN network strictly. And what a week it's been for politics, the great debate. Now, not the great debate in the sense of the great debates like Lincoln-Douglas or possibly like you know what happened in Athens and in Rome and the great oratory – as it will, this is just great theater, and we talk, of course, about Clinton-Trump. That's an alphabetical order, not height order. Clinton-Trump, as it was, like kind of a WrestleMania type of thing. That's the first installment of the three-part debate of the 2016 campaign. And pardon me for being a little bit cynical at this point about what's been going on, because it's – well, now for the political observer – I don't know how we got to where we are, and but here we are. And uh, Election Day is November 8th. It's not going to wait for us to figure it all out. I probably won't figure anything out by then, just to offer some observations. So this show is going to be about 10 takeaways from the great debate, uh, as it were. Maybe a couple other things sprinkled in there, Some maybe some news nuggets that have kind of popped up, but uh, and some observations. But... I have to say, first and foremost, this is actually one of my 10 takeaways, that if you're watching around the world, and I haven't spoken to a lot of people around the world, but if you're watching around the world at our political process and our presidential process, in particular at this debate, you got to be a little bit embarrassed. And the just level of invective and personal disdain that Clinton and Trump each have for each other. And the amazing thing is... Go a couple of years ago, they were friends. I, I mean, they uh, Clinton's attended Trump's wedding, at his third wedding, that is. So, it, it, the level of personal disdain that Donald Trump harbors for the Clintons, for Bill and Hillary, and uh, of course, uh, famously ended the debate by saying uh, he pulled the biggest punch of all by not going after Bill Clinton on his uh, marital infidelities. I'm not sure exactly why Hillary Clinton should be responsible for such a thing. Uh, I, I do feel that Bill Clinton dishonored his office. Uh, I'm not sure that he should have been removed from office. Uh, and I'm not sure. I'm kind of ambivalent still at this point that about the impeachment and the like. But leave that alone. I don't see how that's Hillary Clinton's fault. And I'm not sure how it's that relevant to the 2016 campaign. There's so many things that you can attack Hillary for, attack the Clintons for, uh, unsavory things. You don't need to go there. And the fact is that if you talk about, well, I, I, 
I didn't mention it because Chelsea Clinton was in the audience. I didn't. Well, you know what? You're mention it. If this is what makes you feel that this is a good political strategy, then you should mention it by not mentioning it. This is Trump's habit of saying, "Mm," you know, alludes to things, but he doesn't say them. But I could have said them. So it goes back to another theme. But first, we should note. And I think it's important to note the passing of Shimon Peres. Shimon Peres, former president of Israel, former prime minister of Israel, multi-time prime minister of Israel, defense minister, foreign minister, Nobel Peace Prize recipient, elder statesman, ambassador of the country, ambassador of the Jewish people. And a couple of thoughts with regard that come to mind with regard to the passing of Shimon Peres. First of all, Politics aside, and I I wish people could do this for a little bit and put country above politics. We can all disagree, and I said this last week, we can all disagree with regard to policy and with regard to politics. But in the end, it's our country. It's about country. And it's about the greater good sometimes. And that applies for the U.S. and applies for Israel. And if you disagree with Shimon Peres, as many did on the political spectrum... This man was from the founding generation of the state of Israel, and he was in many ways, and you you could look at histories as far as his building of Israeli, the defense, not just as the armor, but also the material that that went in to the Israeli defense forces and obtaining also Israel's secret or unacknowledged nuclear program. He's the father of that. Uh, He's the father of so many things with regard to Israel's security. And there's no question that Shimon Peres was dedicated to the safety and security of the people living in Israel. And that's really what he dedicated his life for. Of course, as well as his pursuit of peace, some people feel it was wrongheaded or pie in the sky or utopian. But it didn't matter. I think that Perez ultimately was a man who believed that this was the way forward for his people and this was the way forward for Israel. And he always had that best interest in mind. And, you know, he was never elected prime minister. He tried and was unsuccessful, partly because of his dovish views. But as president, he was a great representative of the state of Israel, widely respected. And there's always that question, you know, do we want to be respected? Do, you know, Jews particularly have this thing and it carries over till today. Do you want to be respected outside or inside? You can make the argument for many years, Sherman Paris was more respected outside of Israel than within Israel. But as president, as president of Israel, he carried himself with tremendous dignity and gave the country tremendous dignity during that time. And even as an elder statesman, was a was a paragon of dignity and uh, and diplomacy for for Israel. So even if you had political disagreements, which I'm sure many of the listeners do, because our audience seems to you know does skew that way a little bit. But Shimon Peres was a giant, a man who, from that revolutionary, uh, from that generation, I won't say the greatest generation, you know, bringing American parlance, but a great generation of men who built the state of Israel into what it is today, and they deserve tremendous credit for it. And he 
will go down in history as having. And you want need to look no further than the honor he's being accorded by world leaders who will be attending his funeral, uh, headed by President of the United States, Barack Obama. Not usual thing that the President of the United States will go and attend. Um, Barack Obama will go, Bill Clinton, I believe, John Kerry, uh, a very significant, so you essentially have the most important person in the world going to attend this funeral. Uh, and may his, uh, may his memory be a, be a blessing for, uh, for Claudius Roth. Uh, Sean Perez also, just politically, was the one person, particularly for those in the religious camp, and whether it's the Haredi, the Dati Lumi camp, Shimon Perez was a person who could reach across the divide, who had that sensitivity towards uh, the firm community, had that sensitivity towards uh, the Haredi community and, and elsewhere that was able, despite his uh, you know, many political differences, was able to reach across. I think he was the last labor prime minister to really bring the Haredi parties and some of the other um, uh, religious parties, although not, you know, some of the, the Dati Lumi parties uh, tended to be ideologically more right wing, uh, but bring them into the government. Uh, I think perhaps that that was it. Anyway, um, a, a huge loss for us. But now let's get into the debate for a second. And I want to just begin with the preamble uh, when I get to the 10 points. Uh, why do we always focus on Trump? Why is there so much focus on Donald Trump? And again, that, given that some thought, because you don't want to be biased and you don't want to go ahead and say, well, you know, let's knock his performance. And I think his performance was subpar, but let's knock his performance. But it's the fact that we don't know that much about Donald Trump still. We're still learning on the fly. I mean, uh, Donald Trump received the Republican nomination without a lot of scrutiny. I mean, that's just the, that's just a fact compared to other politicians. And Hillary Clinton, you know, we've been vetting her since since she became first lady and even before. So that goes back to the early 90s. It's a long time. I mean, she's boring at this point. And, you know, it's one of my points. I mean, she just is boring. She's a boring character from my perspective. Donald Trump is hardly boring. And he draws attention. He demands attention. And that's why we focus on him because of that. So, you know, it might be unfair. It might be unfair to kind of uh, focus and dissect everything that Trump does. But, in fact, it makes sense because he is the unknown quantity. He's the one we want to learn about. He's the one we want to know. And there was this perception that Trump was going to walk into this debate and that this was going to be the time he was going to take it to the Clintons. If you remember back to the Republican primaries that Trump said he is alone, he's the one who's going to be able to take it to Hillary Clinton. It didn't happen. So takeaway number one is 84 million viewers watched this debate. And that's just an incredible number, an astounding number. That's yeah, I mean, it's not Super Bowl numbers, but it's it's still an incredible number for a political event. Uh, it's you know, people said, well, watching the debate, debate, debate. Everybody, the, everything was dominated by the debate, and it actually lived up to the hype. Not necessarily the fact that it was uh, well, it wasn't as great a debate as one would have hoped for. But it lived up to the hype in the sense that we got a flavor for both candidates and their strengths and weaknesses. At least I did. So that's, you know, point number one. Number two, I kind of mentioned it already, is I, I'm a little bit embarrassed that the people around the world are watching this. I mean, it was, it was light on substance and not for lack of trying for the moderator. But every time it seemed to get substantive, it seemed to veer into a way, into just a, 
well, it just seemed to veer back into personal attacks. And, you know, it's just light on policy. I mean, the bottom line is Donald Trump is light on policy. Uh, there's no way around it. I mean, when asked about the you know, first strike or first use of nuclear weapons, Donald Trump said in the same sentence that he is against first strike, but at the same time, he doesn't take any options off the table. So which is it? I mean, how is a voter supposed to understand exactly where Donald Trump stands? I mean, he also said at the same time that he is, hasn't given a lot of thought about NATO. Well, if you're not going to think about it now— I mean, I understand 10 years ago you didn't think about it, but now you haven't thought about it? I mean, over the course – and these presidential commands are so long. You announced for president about a year – you know, 13 months ago. Start thinking about it. I mean, not everything needs to be on the fly. Point number three, there's only one Donald Trump. I know we've talked about the fact and others and people in the Trump campaign, Paul Manafort, would talk about the fact in – you know, Paul Manafort has disappeared from the picture – but it talked, would talk about the fact that there's going to be another Donald Trump, a more presidential Donald Trump. There's going to be a Donald Trump who's going to show up, who's going to be change, and it's going to be more presidential. Not, not happening. There is no other Donald Trump. There's no other Hillary Clinton. I mean, she's not changing either. You know, we, we would thought that John, I'm sure a lot of Trump supporters, I spoke to them, they felt that this debate was going to be a game changer because there was going to – the fact that he could stand there for 90 minutes and not go off on tangents and not invoke all kinds of things that would get him into trouble, well, that didn't happen. And we'll, for whatever reason, we'll, you know, we'll get to as a, uh, as, uh, in further points. But Hillary as well. She's just Hillary. I mean, she doesn't change. She pontificates. She sounds like, you know, I couldn't help but thinking during the time, Bueller, Bueller. That might be a reference that some people out there don't, but that is just, you know, it was almost like a, like a high school teacher just kind of droning on and, you know, not just not entertaining. I mean, the difference between the two of them as far as entertainment value is really incredible. And, you know, he did start off incredibly strong the first 20 minutes, uh, 25 minutes, when he knocked her as being more of the same. If you want change, she's not your person. Uh, you know, I don't think he said it as eloquently and as specifically as he could have, but he made the point, And he made the point, I think, pretty well on that. If you – this is a – should be a referendum on her. This should be a referendum on Washington and Washington politicians. She's a Washington politician. We need to get rid of them. We need to break up this whole thing, and that's a message that a lot of Americans are very receptive to. Number four, preparation matters, and I don't think it could have been more clear than on the debate stage. And you know, the amazing thing is you have the Trump surrogates, and I got to tell you, I love the Trump surrogates. I mean, they are an entertaining bunch. I mean, this Boris Epstein, I mean, this guy is, uh, he's unflappable, incredible. Um, Rudy Giuliani, Chris Christie, I mean, these guys are out there, and, and they're even kind of off message with the candidate when, you know, with, with the talking points. I mean, after the debate, Rudy Giuliani immediately says, I don't think Donald Trump should debate anymore. The moderator was unfair. Donald Trump at the same time and Kellyanne Conway, the campaign manager, was saying Lester Holt did a good job. 
So, so they're already out. Rudy's already out there with the talking points way ahead of it, and they haven't made up their mind as to whether they're going to use the talking points. But the bottom line is preparation matters. And the New York Times reported that Donald Trump really just did not prepare. He got bored. The preparation basically, you know, a lot of people in the room. It was fun. Everybody having a good time. Roger Ailes telling war stories, they said. But the bottom line is preparation is hard work, and you just can't wing it. And everybody thought, well, he'll be off the cuff. He'll wing it, et cetera. I mean, when you whiff at fastballs, when you whiff at, like, the biggest meatball out there, which was, I think, the cyber security question. Right. So they asked him about cybersecurity, and he starts talking about defending Putin again. And he starts saying that the 400 – I mean he starts talking about his son Baron could have been the hacker and a 400-pound guy sitting on a couch as the hacker. I mean most hackers that I've seen are pretty thin. I mean because they don't sleep, they don't eat. They're just on the computer all the time. But what you know, whatever. I'm just saying that that's the caricature in the movies. I don't know about the 400-pound guy. But it's just odd. I mean there were some odd things. And did they not tell him there was going to be a split screen? That everybody's been able to see his facial expressions each time. It's just strange that that was the case. That that you know, and did, and the sniffles. Get the guy a tissue. You know, you have to be prepared for what's going to happen. You know, maybe they didn't tell him the debate lasted ninety minutes. Maybe they just said. Uh, I mean, there just was no sense on Trump's side. You know, you got a feeling after like forty five minutes, he wanted this thing to be over, and he was just kind of and he was winging it the entire time, and that's where he got himself into trouble. And there's going to be some things out there that are going to get him into trouble. Number five is that there was a very – oh, well, I'm sorry. The interruptions. Donald Trump interrupted her 51 times according to accounts. She interrupted him 17 times. But when a man interrupts a woman, I think it's just bad. It's just a bad idea. And he just interrupted over and over. He said wrong 12 times. He, wrong. Wrong. He said wrong even when he was wrong. Uh, which, you know, uh, you got to get your facts right. And if you're not prepared and you're not boned up on policy, you're not boned up on the details, you're going to get your facts wrong. Number five, there was a very low bar for Trump. And there was a pretty low bar for Clinton, I thought, as far as these debates were concerned. And I don't think either of them really met the bar. I mean, Trump clearly didn't meet the bar. The bar was to act presidential for, for 90 minutes on the stage. And he just couldn't do it. For whatever reason, I don't going to diagnose the guy, but he just didn't do it. He did not. You, you didn't get the feeling. Now his supporters were probably happy that you know he get the he 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 was entertaining, and he got the one liners in, and he knocked Clinton over and over and over. But he didn't get a lot of his points in there. He didn't get to, he didn't score on a lot of things. We'll get to that later. But I don't think she didn't have the killer instinct. I mean, you kind of felt that you were waiting for the memorable line from Hillary Clinton, the the, the takeaway line. And all you could think about in this debate is, you know, she has a great command of the issues. She's, she's prepared, and she mentioned that during the debate, and I thought she had a good line with that, that she actually prepared. I mean, Donald Trump and his surrogates are on TV complaining that she wasn't campaigning, that she was preparing for the debate. Well, that's what people do. I mean, debates are a big deal, and you made a big deal of debates, and you made a big deal that Donald Trump was going to do a great job during the debates, and he didn't. Number six, I talked about this before, but it bears repeating. She's very boring. And she's just, she's just really, really boring. Now, perhaps that is good for some people, but she's like, she's more boring than Mitt Romney. And 
she's just she's just a boring candidate. I could not wait for her to stop speaking so that Trump could speak again, so that I could you know so he could be entertained. And that was most of the people in the room that I was with. They just didn't. People tuned her out because she was boring. She spoke slowly. She didn't. She kind of struggled to make her point sometimes. You know, and I'm fast speaker, so I, I like to speak fast. I like to get a lot in, and you just got the feeling she was just – it wasn't really filibustering. She just – she's just boring. I don't know what to say. Number seven, the taxes thing is going to come back to haunt Trump. I don't know exactly how. I mean I'm sure – it's going to come back to in an ad because there's no way that they're going to let him get away with the fact that perhaps he pays no federal taxes. And no matter how much he's worth, whether it's $11 billion, as he says, it's $3.7 billion, as Forbes said. By the way, Forbes said that Donald Trump and the Trump Organization lost $800 million in value last year, which I guess running for president was not. And people thought he was doing this for personal gain. So let's <clears> – <throat> excuse me. Let's dispel that rumor for a second. He probably is not doing it for personal gain. So – Donald Trump lost $800 million a year. But either way, you, you should be paying some taxes. And I will say when he says that makes me smart, well, it doesn't. That doesn't make you smart to admit that on national TV because the people out there are paying taxes. I'm paying taxes. And I don't like the fact that this guy is not paying any taxes. Whether he owes taxes or not, I just don't like it. And the fact that he's doing it, it doesn't – I don't think it makes him smart. And I think that is going to be a line to be used, similar to the line when he talks about – when he interrupts. The interruptions were bad for Trump. When, when they were talking about financial crisis and he wanted to take advantage, he says that, that's good business. It's not good business in politics if you take advantage of other people's misfortune. Not good. Now, I don't know why so some people in, out there you know, like that. But they're apparently, with regard to the taxes specifically, he can't claim that he paid taxes if he didn't pay taxes. Apparently, that's a crime. To, tell, to say publicly that you paid taxes if your return says otherwise. I just read that yesterday. And so now he's kind of stuck because if he's asked the question over and over whether he paid taxes, he has to not answer it. <coughs> Excuse me. Number eight, and this is a big problem for Trump. I mean, I think from my perspective, we did not hear anything about the wall. This is his issue. I mean, birtherism is not – that was his issue, and it shouldn't be his issue. But the wall is his issue. Immigration is his issue. And he didn't find a way to pivot to get to immigration, right? I, he always says we're going to build a wall, and who's going to pay for it? That, that didn't happen. And I, for some reason, he just didn't work that in to the – and that's, you know, that's a lack of preparation. Maybe he forgot about – I don't know. Number nine – Stop going there. This is like the stop going there thing for Trump. And he brings these things up and he brings them on himself. I mean, yes, he was asked the birther question. Find a way to answer it without doubling down and tripling down. I mean, you really feel that you did the country a huge service by getting Barack Obama's birth certificate? Do you really think that people think that you did the country a huge service? I don't know. I mean, Rosie O'Donnell, just stop already. I mean, this Machado, you know, you just got to – and and. And the Iraq war thing, I mean, you, you just – you get it gets to be absurd at a certain point that, you know, you were – the record shows that you were for, that you were for the war. Well, ask Sean Hannity. Ask Sean Hannity. Sean Hannity will tell you. I mean, that doesn't work for you. You know, just stop it. Just say, I, for whatever reason, find an answer. 
but he can never let anything go. Anything that anybody says about him, he feels like he has to respond to. And that's the wrong. I mean, there's a rule you know, with any communications is answer the question that you want to. But Donald Trump wants to answer every question that he's asked sometimes. I mean, sometimes he just ignores them. But in these specific things, the birther thing and the women thing, the misogyny thing, uh, it's just he just seems to not be able to handle it. So, you know, that's number nine. And number 10, I think, I said this before, and I think this is the biggest takeaway, and that's why this race will continue to be close to some degree. Uh, You know, we'll see the polling. I mean, the polling seems to be very clear that, uh, at least, I'm sorry, the actual polling, meaning real polling as opposed to online polling, self-selecting polling, which Trump declares. You know, Trump said that he won in the CBS poll. CBS didn't take a poll. Um, You know, he always cites Drudge. We won by a lot. You know, and he he stays in that bubble, and he stays in that everybody tells him that he's winning, winning, winning. You know, it's going to be well. He's not going to be prepared for the second debate or the third debate. I mean, we'll see. I mean, it's going to be interesting. But number ten is the real my takeaway is the change argument works. He found an argument that works in the beginning: change, trade, jobs, and he should be sticking to that. But instead, he's all over the place. He's everywhere. He just can't seem to focus himself for a long enough time to really, really make the case why he should be president. And, you know, you want to say that everybody hates the establishment and everybody should hate Hillary. And, you know, I, I look, there's an argument there. He's running against the most, one of the most unpopular person ever to run for the president, except for himself. And he has the ability probably to change more because people know less about him. She has really very little opportunity to change because everybody has known her for so long, and that's why, unfortunately for her, so many people dislike her. But it just seems a little bit – it just seems a little bit – well, I, you know, he has to stick to his arguments, and he has to – and the bottom line is preparation. Preparation. If you're going into something like this, you got to prepare. And I think you know, he's like, well, you know, I'm going to be Trump. I am who I am. Okay. Yeah, what can I say? You are who you are. Well, a great debate, very exciting. Um, Vice presidential debate coming up. Then, that then October ninth. That's this week, this coming week. October 9th is the second presidential debate. They come fast and furious. We only got a couple weeks to go before election day. I should mention, of course, as we close out this show, uh, that Newsweek had a bombshell. I think, in my mind, and some people, nothing seems to touch Trump anyway. Had a bombshell report. Just this morning, that Trump and his organization illegally traded with Cuba under Fidel Castro, and they were went to Cuba to to explore the idea of opening hotels and casinos there. Now, this might not matter to a lot of people, but the fact is, if you are openly flouting the laws, and a very and it should matter, but it should matter to a lot of Republicans because Cuba is an issue, and it's an issue in Florida, and should be an issue with Cubans. And if you're a guy who was flouting the embargo and doing illegal activities, he probably won't. I'm sure he won't be prosecuted for this. But in my mind, it's just the height of hypocrisy to then go ahead and run for president. Uh, and, and this, the cozying up to dictators and the tolerance for dictators, whether it's Putin and in this case, I guess Castro, it's just it's extraordinarily troubling. Um, you know, and I, I say this, you know, as a Republican, I just I feel that that's not where our party you know our party should not should reject something like that um and he should be taken to task for it and try and have to explain it 
Uh, the other thing is, of course, the political earthquake. Uh, once again, another political earthquake in Albany. Uh, many, several members of Governor Andrew Cuomo's inner circle, as well as some ex- major contributors, were indicted um, this past week for corruption charges around economic development projects, the Buffalo Billion. And uh, another sad state of affairs in Albany, um, a gentleman very, very close to many people in the firm community, Joe Prococo. And we see Cuomo and Christie kind of having these uh, similar, though even though one is a Democrat, one is a Republican, having similar styles when it came to, you know, Christie with the Port Authority, using that politically, and we see, you know, some unfortunate dealings with Cuomo and economic development, or the Cuomo administration, I should say. Neither one of them have been identified. The Bridge Great Trial continues to be fascinating. We'll have to talk about that at a later time. But So this is Spin Class here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Josephs. We will see you next week. And a reminder, Nachum Siegel moving over full-time to the Nachum Siegel Network in the coming months.